In this final talk, we uh, continue the theme of the night and how uh, people interact with uh, birds in their bird song. And of course, the nightingale uh, is the ultimate nocturnal songster. Sadly, we don't get nightingales in the Peak District. The last one that I know of um, was in Grindleford in the 1800s. And somebody shot it because they kept them awake at night. Beatrice Harrison was a famous cellist. She was a friend of Elgar's. And she had a lovely house in the south of England. And she practiced her cello in a garden on warm summer nights. And on one occasion, a bird joined in as she played. And she was thrilled. And she wrote a little bit about this in her autobiography. I'm just going to read you a bit of this. As the nights began to feel warmer, I had a sudden longing to go out into the woods surrounding the garden and play my cello and gaze on the beauty of it all as the moon peeped out through the trees. I sat on an old seat which surrounded an ivy-clad tree. I began to play very lazily all the melodies I loved best and began to improvise on I began with Rimsky-Korsakov, and after playing for some time, I stopped. Suddenly, a glorious note echoed the notes of the cello. I then trilled up and down on the instrument, up to the top and down again. And the voice of the bird followed me. I'd never heard such a bird song before. To me, it seemed a miracle. The sound did not appear to come from the high treetops, but from near the ground. I could not see. I just played on and on. Next day, she asked the gardener what the bird could have been. Terribly tempted to say something like, oh, miss, that will be the nightingale. Well, he, he probably did say something like that. He said, why, miss, uh, that is the nightingale. Come back once again after so long. He heard the cello in the wood. Why, then, have you brought him back into these parts? Don't let him go again, the gardener said. That was 1923. People got to hear of this remarkable experience. And Lord Reef at the BBC decided... Uh, that this would make a great live radio performance. Radio had only been going for a couple of years, and he was very excited about this. So the BBC decided they'd do this. They sent their team. Of course, the recording instruments uh, in those days were far from the compact recording kit that uh, people have today, and uh, they spent all day setting up their kit. And then the big day was the 19th of May, uh, 1924. This is to be a two-hour live broadcast. I think it started at eight o'clock. So there's Beatrice out in the woods, strumming away on her cello. And she strummed and strummed. There was no nightingale. She kept going for well over an hour, hour and a half, still no nightingale. I can imagine quite a lot of the public thinking this radio nonsense is rubbish and turning off. But those who stuck it out until the bit of it were rewarded in the last 10 minutes. This is what happened.
public went mad. Here they are going mad. They were terribly excited. <laughs> you, can you can imagine what they're saying. Gosh, that's super. Anyway, the next day, she got 50,000 fan letters. It was an unprecedented success. So much so that uh, Lord Reef decided that this should become an annual event, and so it was. For the next 12 years, um, Beatrice Harrison played her cello in the garden, and the public loved it. I think that initial um, tremendous response was partly as a result of waiting for uh, well over an hour for the Nightingale to, to pull its act, to get its act together and sing. But every, every year after that, it was immensely successful. Then, in 1942, somebody else was recording Nightingales not far from Beatrice Harrison's um, garden. And because this was the beginning of, sorry, well into the World War II, this turned out to be an extraordinary uh, recording. And I'd just like you to listen to this for a few minutes. Here's Nightingale going. I think that uh, juxtaposition between the nightingale indifferent to the horrors of war uh, with the RAF bombers is absolutely remarkable. Just returning to Beatrice Harrison and her 1924 recording, somebody subsequently made a sonograph, a sound picture, of that nightingale's song. And my colleague Jeremy Minot in his book, Birdscapes, decided to investigate. Some people were a bit suspicious of that Nightingale's song. And he and I asked a whole bunch of ornithologists whether they thought there was anything unusual about that first recording. In fact, most people thought not. But subsequently, it turned out that 
the BBC's trampling around Beatrice's garden, had frightened the nightingale off for good. And as a safety net, they had employed Madame Savarol, a professional whistler. Now, I don't know whether Beatrice even knew that Madame Savarol was hiding in the undergrowth. Um, but, and subsequently, as a result of various people's research, uh, the grandson of Madame Savarol uh, wrote and told us that, yes, it was uh, her who had been doing the whistling on that particular night. And apparently the secret of her success was that, unlike most professional whistlers, she didn't use her teeth, she used her larynx. And uh, larynx is analogous to a bird's syrinx, its voice box. But there are dozens of professional whistlers around. And in fact, to be able to mimic a nightingale in that way is truly extraordinary. The fact that it fooled so many ornithologists, she must have been uh, absolutely exceptional. And we're going to take our last scene musically now with another nightingale in a thicket where Messiaen hears and is inspired by the nightingale. Thank you. 